Well, I must say to you tonight that it feels like I've come home. It's a great joy to know what kind of people and what kind of interests those people have. There are some places you go and you're just not certain how you or the Word of God will be received, but not so here. I so appreciate what you do here, how you labor in the Lord and stand for His Word and fight the good fight of faith. And it is a great honor of mine to be with you again. It feels like home because I get to be with my grandparents in the faith, Bill and Betty Kaufman. So good to see them again. It feels like coming home because being with Warren and Paula is like being with family. And I look forward to spending this weekend with them as well. I've met some new people this time coming through the doors tonight, new to me. And I want you to know how much I look forward to being with you as well. As we're all part of this spiritual family, the people of God who are on our way home. So let me say thank you for the invitation to come home again. Our theme this weekend is taken from 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 12. The Apostle Paul frequently used military metaphors in his writing. You remember that it was Paul who said, "...put on the full armor of God..." that you may be able to withstand the evil one. It was Paul who said to war the good warfare and be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. But in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 12, he tells the young preacher, fight the good fight of faith. That says not only was Timothy to be a fighter, but he qualified that as the good fight, which tells us that there are some battles that are not worth fighting. You fight the good fight of faith. May I say to you tonight that we are a people who are at war We're fighting a spiritual battle. We have a common enemy who has waged war against the soldiers of Christ for centuries. You know what we need to do? We need to fight the good fight of faith. We need to keep fighting the battles that have been fought by God's people. We need to make certain that our children are fighting the good fight of faith. Because you know what the devil wants us to do? Surrender. Well, I don't know. It's too imposing out there. There's too many people against us. The cause is too great for me. I can't stand anymore. 
Fight the good fight of faith. I want us to begin our study, and I want to encourage you to turn in John chapter 20. We're just going to read two verses to begin. Ironically, about somebody, one of Jesus' disciples, who said he would not believe unless this happened. John chapter 20, I want to read verses 24 and 25. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore were saying to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I shall see in his hands the imprint of the nails, and put my finger into the place of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now how would you like it if somebody took one thing that you had said in your life, or one thing you did, and made that for how people remembered you for all time. I mean, you didn't even get to submit your favorite quote. You didn't get to give any suggestion about what you did. They chose for you and said, this is how we're going to remember you. I suppose if you're honest, Abe, well, that's not all that bad. But what about when you're this apostle? What are we calling? Doubting Thomas. It's become a nickname that's not even relegated just to religious circles. I mean, if in politics or business, if there's a dissenting voice to the project or a, a skeptic of the group, oh, you're just being a doubting Thomas. And we say those things about him as if, one, he was the only one who ever doubted that Jesus was raised from the dead even among the apostles. And secondly, that that was the only thing he said in the Scriptures, and that's all we have to go on is this one statement we just read. And I submit to you that both of those are false. Thomas was not the only one who doubted the reports that Jesus had been risen from the dead. Neither was this the only thing he said in Scripture. Look back to John chapter 11 quickly. This is when the news came to Jesus that Lazarus was sick. And he told the apostles in John 11, we are going to Judea to see Lazarus. And they tried to talk him out of it. They said, Lord, don't you know that you have a death sentence there? It was in Judea where Jesus had said, Before Abraham was, I am. And they picked up stones to throw at him. It was there that Jesus said, I and the Father are one. And again, they picked up stones to stone him. And so they said, Jesus, we can't go back there. You set foot in the city limits and they'll kill you. Jesus said, we're going. And notice what so-called doubting Thomas said in John chapter 11 and verse 16. 
Thomas, therefore, who is called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Jesus said, we're going to Judea. Tom, uh, the disciples said, no, they'll kill you, Jesus. You know what doubting Thomas said? Over my dead body. But when was the last time you ever heard him called brave Thomas? Faithful Thomas? No. It's doubting Thomas. His unfortunate nickname comes from that statement we read from John 20. Unless I see him, lest I put my hand into his wounded side, into the scars from the crucifixion, I simply will not believe. My question tonight, is that a fair description of Thomas? Or does Thomas show us a process that all of Jesus' disciples need to go through if we're going to fight the good fight of faith? If we're going to go onto the front lines of the battlefield and say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. We're going to have to do the same things that Thomas did here in John chapter 20. It may very well be tonight that you have your own doubts about God and His Son. I want to commend you that you've come to feed your faith and not feed your doubts. Because in so doing, you are equipping yourself to fight the good fight of faith. What do we learn about faith from a man we call Doubting Thomas? Number one, Faith must be based on evidence. Faith is something that is based on evidence. Jesus doesn't call for us to follow Him with a blind faith and just say, you have to believe and then not give us any proof. Faith is based on evidence. As one of Jesus' chosen twelve, Thomas had been all in before. I mean, like the other disciples, he left everything and followed Jesus. He went from place to place with him. He heard the sermons and the parables. He saw the miracles and the healings. That was his master and Lord. And then he's killed. And for Thomas and the rest of the disciples, they thought the cause was over. We're finished. They killed our leader. What do we do now? Keep your place in John 20, but go back to Mark chapter 16. And I want you to notice something that was said about all of Jesus' disciples when the reports of the resurrection first 
begin to circulate. Three days after His crucifixion, Mark chapter 16 and verse 9, Now after He had risen early on the first day of the week, He first appeared to Mary Magdalene, from whom He had cast out seven demons. She went and reported to those who had been with Him while they were mourning and weeping. And when they heard that He was alive and had been seen by her, Thomas refused to believe it. Is that what yours says? They refused to believe it. And after that, He appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking along on their way to the country. And they went away and reported to the others. But Thomas didn't believe them either. But they didn't believe them either. Even the verse before the Great Commission in Matthew 28, when Jesus assembled the eleven now, eleven apostles after Judas' death on the, on the mountain, they worshipped Him, but some were doubtful. You know what Thomas said? Show me the proof. Don't you know there were other people who were walking around making the false claim, I'm Jesus, back from the dead. Well, how would you settle that? Show me your scars. Show me the proof. And Jesus did not withhold proof of His resurrection. Thomas said, unless I see it and put my hand into His side, I will not believe. Look now at John chapter 20 and verse 27. Did Jesus come on the scene and put His hands behind His back and say, Now Thomas, I'm ashamed of you. You should just... Have faith, Thomas. You should just believe. Reach here, your hand. Reach here, your hand, and put it, and see the imprint of the nails. Reach here, your hand, and put it into my side. Reach here your finger and see. Notice the words of personal experience, Thomas. You want proof? Here it is. Because faith must be based on evidence. A couple of years ago, I got a notice to appear for jury duty in the city of Deer Park, where we live. And I learned something about the state of Texas that day. We are one of the few states left where you can still get a jury trial for a speeding ticket. And that's why we were there. Tell them we're busy. Forty people showed up for jury duty. Now, they were only going to choose six of us, 
But we all got to hear the facts of the case. And I noticed that day as we were hearing the case, police officer got up and talk, talked about how he had seen the car and pointed his radar gun and he was going this fast and this was a speed limit. And the driver got up and told his side. There wasn't one person in that jury pool of 40 people who stood up and said, now wait a minute, hold up, time out. I can't serve on this jury. I wasn't there. I didn't see this happen. I don't know what kind of car he was driving. I didn't see the policeman point his radar gun. I can't make a decision on this case. I wasn't there. Nobody said that. And the reason is because we understood that we would hear the evidence. We would hear the facts of the case. And upon hearing the facts of the case, we would make our decision. Is he guilty or not guilty? People are sentenced to death under those same circumstances. We hear the evidence. When the Apostle John wrote his first epistle, 1 John chapter 1, you know what he did? He gave the evidence. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 1. What was from the beginning? What we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we beheld and our hands handled concerning the word of life. John said we were there. We saw him. We touched him. We heard him. And, his, and the life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and what we heard we proclaim to you also, that you also may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son Jesus Christ. And these things we write so that our joy may be made complete. Do you know what you have when you read your Bible? You are reading eyewitness testimony. You're reading the facts of the case from those who were there. You're reading the evidence. That's all Thomas wanted. Let me see the proof. Let me handle the facts of the case. Aren't we all to do that? 1 John chapter 4 and verse 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit. What are you supposed to do? Test the spirits to see whether they are of God. Yea, even tonight, when you hear the preaching you make certain it is the preaching of the Word of God. You test what you hear with what the evidence says. Faith must be based on evidence. I noticed in the foyer tonight, your emphasis this year 
on Bible reading. Reading the Bible. You know, we do our young people a great disservice when they come to us with questions, when they come to us with doubts, and we just tell them, oh, you have to have faith. Well, where does faith come from? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Romans 10 and verse 17. We need to point them to the, where they will feed their faith. Do we want them to ask the professor at school? Do we want them to rely on the wisdom of their friends? Show them where faith comes from. From the Word of God. You see, while we're fighting this good fight of faith, we need not be ashamed of the gospel. The truth has nothing to hide. We should be like Jesus, who held out His hands and said, You want proof? Well, reach here your finger and put it into my side. And be not unbelieving, but believing. Faith must be based on evidence. How ironic that we would learn that from doubting Thomas. Number two, we learn that faith must be personal. Faith is something that must be personal. You have to have your own Faith, Not the faith of your fathers, not the faith of your spouse, not the faith of your church. Your own faith. Look a little earlier in John 20, and notice what comes before the verses we read. And see if that doesn't help us understand why Thomas said what he said. Verse 19 of John 20. When therefore it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when He had said this, He showed them both His hands and His side. The disciples therefore rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Now go to verse 24 again. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. So imagine this. Thomas wasn't there one week. Jesus appears and shows himself to the disciples. Thomas shows up the next week and they tell him, We saw the Lord! He showed us His hands and His side. It's really Him. And you know what Thomas said? Well, I want to see it. Why can't I see it? And unless I see it for myself, I simply will not believe. Thomas' request was not an unreasonable one. He just wanted to see it for himself. 
He wanted his faith to be his own. Notice the personal words that he used in verse 25. Unless I shall see in his hands the imprint of the nails and put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. The mother was trying to teach her little girl about the acts of worship and making certain she understood what we did when we, when we come together to worship. So she gave her a little money to put in the collection plate when it passed by. And sure enough, it came time for that part of the worship, and the plate came by, and the little girl held her hand out, and her mother said, Give your money to God. And the little girl looked down the row at the man who had passed the tray down. She said, that's not God. Well, she was just trying to understand for herself. Why are we doing this? What does this mean? That's exactly what the Lord told the Israelites in Exodus chapter 12. When he was instituting this memorial feast that would be celebrated year after year, the Passover, he said in Exodus 12, there will come a day when the children will ask their parents, what does this rite mean to you? And the parents would answer, because God said so. God was the one who rescued us from the bondage of Egypt. God then has the authority on this Passover feast. We certainly learn about the gospel from other people. For most of us, that is our parents. We may learn it from our friends or from our spouse, and we rely upon their faith for a time. We may not understand. But there comes a day where each of us must stand on our own faith. We must make it our own. Because the day of judgment is personal. It's between you and God. And you will give an answer. Not for what your parents did, or your children did, or your elders did, or your preacher did. But for what you did with your own faith. In John chapter 4, we see an illustration of this after Jesus spoke to the woman at the well, Samaria. At the end of their conversation, this woman had concluded, this man who I've been talking to is indeed the Messiah. And so she went home and told her city. In verse 39 of John 4, from that city... Many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, He told me all the things that I have done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they were asking him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And many more believed because of his word, and they were saying to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, 
For we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. They said, for a a little while, we took your word for it. That was enough to cause us to be curious, to investigate, to come and talk with Jesus. And they did that. They said, now we know. And it's not just because of what you said that we believe. We have seen it for ourselves. Faith must be personal. Like Thomas, you have to make it your own. There's a growing movement in our country of people who don't call themselves atheists or even agnostics. You know how they refer to themselves? Rationalists. Well, what does that imply about everybody else? You're just irrational. It's not based on reason or common sense. And do you know how they come to their conclusion about that? Because people go around and they interview these Christians. People who have never worked out their own salvation. They're Christian in name only. And so they ask them questions and they appear foolish. They call their faith into question and it falls apart. Why? They never made it their own. Thomas was going to go into all the world and be a witness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. How could he do that? Unless he had first said, I've got to see it for myself. I've got to know. I've got to make it my own. Faith. It's got to be personal. Or when you go and fight the good fight, and you try to stand on someone else's faith, certain defeat. We learned that from a man we call Doubting Thomas. What do we learn about faith? Number three. Yes, it is based on evidence, it's personal, but number three, faith must lead to confession. If it's what you believe in your heart, you have to confess it with your mouth. And Thomas did. He said, unless I see for myself, I will not believe. Jesus did not withhold the evidence. Reach here and see. And so verse 28 of John 20, Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Notice again the personal, my Lord and my God. But after seeing the evidence for himself, he could do no less but to confess the deity of Jesus. He is 
the Son of God. He is resurrected exactly as He had predicted. He is my Lord and my God. Can you imagine if Thomas had said, Unless I see it for myself, I will not believe. And Jesus said, Here it is, Thomas. See it, touch it, examine it. And after doing so, Thomas said, I don't believe that. I don't see that. You see, it takes honesty to want to examine the evidence. That's an honest heart, an open mind. Yes, show me the proof. But it takes humility to go wherever the evidence takes you. And bow your knee and say, my Lord and my God. One of the family members of one of our members at Southside years ago asked if I would meet them early on a Wednesday night before services. And they said, I want to talk to you about what the Bible says on this subject. And I knew enough about their situation where this was going to lead. And boy, I worried and fretted. And so I finally decided I'm not going to say anything like I believe or in my opinion or in my judgment. I said, we're just going to read verses rapid fire. I'm going to call them out and I want you to read them out loud from your Bible. And we did that. At the end, I said, now, does that answer your question? And they looked right across the office at me and said, my God's bigger than that. That may be what the scriptures say, but my God is above that. He's not as restrictive and narrow as that. My God is bigger. So they had the willingness to know, but not the humility to bow. Thomas said, My Lord and my God. His honest investigation led to his humble confession. We see that with the centurion. Pilate placed him at the foot of the cross as a soldier. You make certain this is carried out according to Roman law. He was not a disciple. He had nothing to gain. But standing there and seeing what he saw, darkness in the middle of the day, the rocks split, tombs open. Remember what he said when Jesus died? Surely this was the Son of God. Faith must lead to confession. Not to, that's your opinion. 
That's just your interpretation. That's not the God I serve. When you handle the evidence and you see it for yourself, then you have the humility to surrender and say, My Lord and my God. Romans chapter 10, Paul put faith and confession together with respect to salvation. When he said in Romans chapter 10 and verse 9, For with, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Have you ever sat in the exit row of an airplane? They don't just let anybody sit there. In fact, if you sit on that row, they make certain you understand you have a responsibility. If something were to happen and other exits are blocked, you're going to have to open this door and help people off of the aircraft. And so to make certain everybody understands, they go one by one and say, do you understand this responsibility? Every now and then, there'll be somebody who'll just kind of nod and go back to whatever they're reading. And one time I heard the flight attendant say, you have to say it with your mouth. You have to say it out loud. That's what confession is. It means to speak the same thing. When we confess Jesus as Lord, we are saying the same thing God said about Him. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Faith leads to confession. It's not something we are ashamed of and keep to ourselves. No, we want to proclaim to the whole world, my Lord and my God. We want others to come to sit at the feet of the master teacher, for them to handle the evidence, for them to believe. It's part of our responsibility in fighting the good fight. So by all means, call for the proof. Ask for it. Don't believe every spirit. Test the spirits. But even when the Word of God convicts you and leads you to some place you don't want to go, have the humility to say and confess, My Lord and my God. Whatever thou wilt, O Lord. We learned that from doubting Thomas. The ability to physically see and touch Jesus after the resurrection was 40 days. We're talking about a 40-day window and then he ascended back into heaven. 
But he did not leave himself without a witness. Verse 30, Many other signs, therefore, Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. Later, John said, if they were written down, the world itself couldn't hold all the books. But these have been written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. Thomas did believe. And he did go into all the world. According to history, he took the gospel into Greece, India. And tradition says he was killed by a sword thrust into his side. If that is true, then Thomas, doubting Thomas, died with a wounded side, like that of his Lord, that he just wanted to reach out and touch. He fought the good fight. But you know, there was another thing Thomas said. In John chapter 14, when Jesus said, I am going away, and you know where I'm going, it was Thomas who said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How do we even know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. Would you bow in submission to Him tonight? If you believe with all your heart that He is the Christ, would you be willing to confess that and be baptized and have your sins washed away? If you've not been fighting the good fight of faith, would you use tonight as an opportunity to re-enlist in the Lord's army, to be rededicated and renew your service and faith to Him? Can we help you? We're going to sing a song that would encourage you to come right now while together we stand and while we sing.